You're listening to Retail Disrupted, a podcast that explores the latest industry developments and the trends that will shape how we shop in the future. I'm your host, Natalie Berg. Hello, and welcome back to Retail Disrupted. I know it's been a while. And you're all probably wondering whether I've given up on podcasting already and run for the hills. I promise I haven't. I'm still here. (laughs) I'd always plan to take a few weeks away from the podcast and then come back, I promise. Uh, But it ended up being a little bit longer than that. And uh, yeah, I'm back. But I had a great time in Florida. Went to go visit my parents. I got back to the UK and then had an absolutely insane back-to-back two weeks of speaking engagements. I had nine speaking engagements over the course of those two weeks. I don't recommend that. (laughs) It was a very intense April and early May, but also very enjoyable. So I, you know, it was great to be out and about, especially, you know, in this hybrid world in which we live. Uh, I do a lot of working from home anyway, but and also being self-employed, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity to get out and about and see people. So it was it was great to just be around people, uh, reconnect with a lot of people I hadn't seen for a while, uh, and of course, meet new people as well. So very much uh, a fun but very busy couple of weeks. One of my highlights was chairing the Richmond Retail and E-Commerce Directors Forum, uh, and it was there that I had the opportunity to interview Simon Aurora, who is the former boss of Value Retailer B&M. We had such a great conversation, and I was really honored to have the opportunity to get Simon's views. He was incredibly inspiring, he was candid, and it was a genuinely entertaining interview. (laughs) Um, for those of you who don't know Simon, he and his brothers acquired B&M back in 2005, and they turned it from a loss-making chain of 20 stores into a group of over a thousand stores across the UK and France, uh, creating you know, thousands of jobs and a London stock exchange listing as well. And so Simon had some great pearls of wisdom. I did a little write-up on LinkedIn with some of the highlights. Um, very frustrating as a <laughs> as a uh, interviewer when you're interviewing somebody who is just reeling off these amazing sound bites, and you know you're multitasking, looking at the time, thinking about what you're going to ask next, and also trying to uh, take questions from the crowd. And you're thinking, oh God, I want to capture everything you're saying. So uh, fortunately, we had some some great note takers in the crowd who uh, who helped to capture some of Simon's thoughts. So I'm going to share a little bit with you right now. Simon uh, started out by making the point that in mass market retailing, it still boils down to price and convenience. Those are the two things that still drive loyalty. Yes, there's a ton of change. There's a lot of technology out there that's making the experience better for shoppers, more personalized, more convenient. Um, But really, at the end of the day, it comes down to good old-fashioned value and convenience for shoppers. B&M's success is due to keeping things simple. For example, having a limited range and a constant strive for productivity. Now, Simon referenced the the phrase, turnover is vanity, profit is sanity. And it became clear to me that in the early days, as he was talking about the early days of, um, of the business, he was very heavily influenced by Walmart and specifically Walmart's EDLP slash 
uh, EDLC model. So that's everyday low price or everyday low cost. And later on in our discussion, he actually recommended that everybody in retail should read Sam Walton's biography. And I'm actually staring at it on my desk uh, as we speak. So yes, I, I would second that recommendation. The second pearl of wisdom from Simon, work at what you're good at and, in his words, execute bloody well. You can't be all things to all people. Now, I couldn't agree more. In fact, I think the retailers that try to be everything to everyone end up being nothing to no one. And whilst, yes, it is tempting to try to reach new shoppers and to a certain extent, you know, retailers should be doing this and reevaluating, you know, who their target customer is and whether there's an opportunity to uh, reach a wider audience. I think what's more important is that you have a very clear understanding of who your customer is, what they're looking for, what you stand for, you know, purpose is so incredibly important and it's easy to kind of lose sight of that. And you serve your customer incredibly well. You, you stay in your swim lane, you understand what your unique value proposition is and you own it. So I fully agree. I mean, I think that is such important advice and so relevant uh, today. Now, Simon also talked about e-commerce. I mean, we were at an e-commerce event, so it would have been remiss of me not to ask him his thoughts on e-commerce. And it was interesting because um, the I think it was a few days before the event, before the interview with Simon, uh, there was an article on Retail Week where they um, talked about how B&M has quietly pulled the plug on their e-commerce trial. And so I was, I was keen to get Simon's thoughts. And, you know, his point was, look, everyone needs to be, have a dig everyone needs a digital presence, right? But not everybody needs to be trading online. And sometimes encouraging digital can be counterproductive. And so I guess his, his point was that, you know, and, and again, I, I completely agree with this because for a retailer like B&M, whose model is all about simplicity, keeping costs low, you know, pilot high, sell it cheap. They're relying on um, good old fashioned <laughs> store footfall, you know, getting shoppers through the doors and and maybe finding some things that they didn't plan on spending. Um, in fact, there was a great stat about that. I don't think I have it in my notes here. Um, yeah, come back to me on that. But uh, just the fact that a large percentage of people end up buying something they didn't plan on. It's the whole kind of thrill of the middle aisle, uh, you know, idea that you have in the likes of Aldi and Little. But for retailers that are reliant on that kind of model, you know, e-commerce just doesn't work. The economics uh, just don't stack up. And I think it's okay to be upfront about that and acknowledge it. And I, it was it was really kind of refreshing to hear Simon's views and uh, recognizing that, you know, not every retailer needs to be online. Store staff are your warriors. I love that. Store staff are your brand ambassadors. They're your front line. You know, they, <laughs> they're so important and you need to treat them well. Simon, uh, talking about the consumer, he made the point that people enjoy a bargain today as much as they need a bargain and that there is absolutely zero embarrassment today when it comes to enjoying value for money. So we talked a lot about this, um, you know, the shift in perception 
um, around frugality. And, you know, he made the point that this, no, that's just, you know, that's just smart shopping. And I think it is interesting. We have to kind of acknowledge there's been a huge shift over the past sort of 15 years um, around this. And it's, you know, it's partly contributed to the absolute explosion uh, that we've seen in uh, discount grocery retailing in particular. So then I followed up with a question to Simon, what do you think is more important, actual value or perceived value? Now, no surprise, Simon says actual value. He says you can't play games with the customer because they just don't give you a second chance. Reinvention is constant. Another pearl of wisdom from Simon that I'd like to leave you with. And then finally, uh, a question from the crowd. We had so many questions from the crowd. Uh, Simon was asked his thoughts on how AI will impact retail in the future. That is the classic question at the moment. Everyone is desperate to get a better understanding of how artificial intelligence is going to impact retail. Simon gave a refreshingly honest answer. Guess what he said? I don't know. He said, I don't know. Uh, to be fair, no, you know, Simon left B&M six months ago. And now, you know, he is pursuing life outside of retail to, to a certain extent. And so I suppose he doesn't need to know how AI will impact retail. But he made a good point that retail leaders don't need to know everything. But what they do need is they need to surround themselves with a strong team of experts And I think everyone in the room respected the fact that he didn't try to answer something that was totally outside his scope. I think we should be doing more of that. Now, for the second half of the episode, we are going to be talking about AI and specifically about someone who has very strong views on it. Earlier this week, Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates was speaking at an event in San Francisco when he shared his bold predictions that AI will lead to the demise of Amazon. And yeah, probably Google too. (laughs) He didn't explicitly state Google, but called out the demise of search engines more generally. Now, before we come on to his specific comments, it's worth noting here that Bill Gates has historically been pretty bullish on the topic of AI. He believes that the company that will eventually win the AI race will do so by developing a personal digital assistant. This AI assistant doesn't exist today, so it has yet to be developed, but once it is developed, it will be able to understand a person's needs and habits and will help them, in his words, read the stuff you don't have time to read. It's expected to alter our habits in such a drastic way that, in Gates' words, you will never go to a search site again, you will never go to a productivity site, you'll never go to Amazon again. Now, that is a good soundbite. <laughs> so we're going to get into AI uh, in a little bit more detail and some of uh, the specifics around those comments. And because he did share a few more thoughts uh, around AI, which are worth calling out because, of course, it does impact retail. But I do want to call out here that Bill Gates is not the first big tech founder to predict Amazon's demise. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos himself has said that, yes, one day Amazon will fail. You know, Amazon does have an expiration date. (laughs) All companies do. Uh, Bezos has said in the past that most companies actually have a lifespan of around 30 years, not 100 years. And in our book, Maya and I absolutely touched on this. You know, we have to talk about uh, 
we, we have to acknowledge, and, and that was very much the focus of the book, was that, yes, Amazon has revolutionized retail. And I think it will continue to disrupt the status quo and, you know, certainly keep competitors on their toes. But a couple of things we need to call out very briefly, and then I am going to go back to um, Bill Gates' comments because there's some interesting things to unpick there. Yes, Amazon has incredibly loyal customers, right? And that's a reflection of everything they set out to do in the early days, putting the customer at the heart of their strategy, which sounds like something that every retailer lists off as, you know, one of their uh, core aims, and it should be. But Amazon, Amazon is genuinely obsessed with their customers, and not just their customers, but the experience that their customers have. So they start with the customer, they work backwards. I sound like a broken record. I know. I've talked about this so many times. But before we get into anything more, we do have to acknowledge that, uh, you know, Amazon, Amazon's uh, genuinely customer-centric approach to everything they do and the fact that they are a tech company, that combination, tech company with deep pockets, <laughs> uh, has uh, and, and having this genuine appetite for disruption, all of these things combined have... Uh, ultimately led them to become one of the most successful and influential companies of the 21st century. But here's the but. Amazon customers are loyal, but it's transactional loyalty that Amazon generates with its customers. It's not emotional loyalty. In other words, customers are hooked on the convenience, the sheer effortlessness, the ease, the frictionlessness experience, all the, you know, just the, the total... Um, total ease of shopping on their platform, which we won't get into because I've, I've done this on previous podcasts. But we all know it's pretty easy and convenient to shop on Amazon. We think about the future of retail. Amazon's proposition is going to become less unique, very simply for two reasons. One, the rest of the industry is caught up. COVID was a huge catalyst for digital transformation and, and tech investment. Stores have become hugely tech-centric. They've, be they've become infused with technology, and the, the playing field has really leveled, in, in my view. And that's only going to continue. And that's, of course, one of the reasons why Amazon wants stores. And things like, when we think about e-commerce, things like one-click checkout and fast delivery, those things, yes, they revolutionized the way we shop, you know, <laughs> 10, 15, 20 years ago. But today, they're no longer enough to differentiate Amazon from its rivals. And when we think about the future of e-commerce, well, yes, the future of e-commerce is going to look very different. Today, it's still very one-dimensional, still very transactional, but we've got, you know, you know I'm a metaverse skeptic, but immersive digital experiences are happening now, and that's only going to continue. E-commerce is going to become a lot more engaging, a lot more immersive, much more, uh, much more of the touch and feel that we have when we shop in store is happen is going to happen in a digital setting. And, you know, I've talked about AR and live shopping, uh, virtual shopping consultations. There's all kinds of examples of how retailers are kind of marrying the physical and the digital. And, and I think that convergence of these online and the online and offline world is only going to accelerate. And that's going to make Amazon look a little bit stale. And yes, Amazon will, you know, they, they will continue to evolve and adapt their offering. But I think that things are going to look tough for them in the future. So that's all I'm going to say about Amazon. You know, I, uh, I'm trying to have a little bit of an Amazon detox myself. <laughs> uh, professionally, not personally. I can never do that. 
So going back to Bill Gates and his comments about AI, what else did he say? Well, he said that the company that goes on to develop this AI assistant uh, it could be a startup or it could be a tech giant. So he says there's a 50-50 chance that this future AI winner will either be a startup or uh, one of the existing big tech players. Naturally, he said he'd be disappointed if Microsoft didn't come in there. Of course, he's got to say that. Um, but he also called out um, one startup that he was impressed with called Inflection. Now, I should clarify, this is way beyond uh, my swim lane, <laughs> going back to Simon Aurora's comments of sticking to uh, what you're good at and doing well, doing it well. Um, but I... I think I needed to learn a little bit more about this. And so I went on to Inflection's site and I'd recommend you do that too because there's a really fascinating um, blog post from their CEO and co-founder, Mustafa Suleiman, who in a huge amount of detail explains the rationale behind creating a personal AI. Now he goes on to discuss the, the downsides of social media, everything from misinformation to um, polarized content being amplified and he thinks there is a need to rebalance this asymmetry he says that the most capable ais today have often been designed to exchange your attention for something that you want in return so information connection news entertainment etc he thinks that big tech companies have been too busy prioritizing advertisers and content creators to do this next big thing that he's he's looking to do. Now, I'm going to read you some of his comments and see what you think. He says, imagine the most capable AI in the world that is truly on your side, directly aligned with your interests and constantly calibrating to your needs. What would it look like to shift from being at the mercy of AIs trying to grab your attention to working alongside one that helps you express your personal intention and then achieve it? Imagine an AI that helps you deeply understand topics you really care about rather than flagging superficial clickbait. Imagine an AI that helps you empathize or even forgive the other side rather than being outraged by and fearful of them. Imagine an AI that optimizes for your long-term goals and doesn't take advantage of your need for distraction when you're tired at the end of a long day. Gosh, I can relate to that. <laughs> uh, imagine your personal AI companion with a single mission of making you happier, healthier, and more productive. Last paragraph now. We don't have all the answers, but we're trying to set out to develop a personal intelligence that really does work for you, that's in your corner, always on your team. Our mission is to firmly align your AI with you and your interests above all else. It means designing an AI that helps you articulate your intentions, organize your life, and be there for when you need it. Ooh, that all sounds very exciting. <laughs> uh, what else do we know? We know that this isn't going to happen overnight. Uh, Bill Gates has said that it's going to be a long time until this powerful digital super agent is ready for mainstream use. Until then, companies will continue embedding generative AI technologies like ChatGPT into their own products. And then the final comment from Bill Gates that I thought was worth calling out because it relates to retail, because uh, he also went on to talk about AI's impact and the medical space and all kinds of other cool and interesting things. But um, in terms of retail, Gates also warned that robots could take over the jobs 
not only of white collar workers, but blue collar ones as well with the rise of humanoid robots. So again, in my kind of layman terms, I'm thinking Star Wars C-3PO. <laughs> Don't know if that's right or not, but that's that's what I kind of imagine when I hear humanoid robots. Uh, this is, of course, not an entirely new concept in retail, especially when it comes to logistics, where you know we all know that robots can be a whole lot more productive and more accurate, among a whole host of other benefits. Now, Tesla that is another good example of a company um, that is pursuing the uh, the humanoid uh, robot. Uh, they've got their Tesla bot that was introduced last year. That is a five foot eight autonomous humanoid robot that, again, is designed to do the things humans don't want to do, things that are unsafe, repetitive, boring, um, things like moving parts around factories. And interestingly, again, I always like to look at things with a longer term lens and thinking about how things might change in the future. Well, and Elon Musk is always fun to quote anyway. <laughs> um, Elon Musk thinks that these bots can be used in homes, making dinner, mowing the lawn, caring for the elderly. The list goes on. We shall see. We shall see. But one thing that is worth calling out here is that over time, these technologies will, of course, become cheaper and more accessible, which will ultimately drive adoption. Now, I'll leave you with one final comment. We talked a lot about AI, a lot of things that I'm not an expert in, a lot of things that are over my head that I've had to carefully source and cross-reference to talk about on my podcast. Next time I'm bringing, I'm bringing Maya back. <laughs> Uh, in all seriousness, I am. I do have a plan for guests. It won't just be me droning on and on and on. Uh, but one thing I want to leave you with is that the future of the internet is going to be drastically different to the one-dimensional version we have today. That's something I think we can all bank on. <laughs>